Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just wanna find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Alan McLaren. Alan is the CEO of Infinity Communications. Welcome, Alan. John, nice to be with you. Yeah, I'm, I've been looking forward to catching up with you and, and chatting a bit about your story. Uh, first of all, can you tell our listeners about what you're doing at the moment and uh, yeah, just in general, a bit about what you do? So uh, I have two businesses. My primary business is a full-service marketing agency that does everything from strategy to execution. So, um, so everything from content development, social media, thought leadership for CEOs, video, anything that you could help to tell the story. And then my other business is a uh, virtual healthcare business, which we started in Italy about four years ago and are growing it around the world. So they're two different businesses, but uh, certainly keep me busy and keep me uh, excited. Yeah, that's really interesting. Two different businesses. Uh, so for listeners, I'd love for, for you to share some of your story. You know, what are those moments, even as far back as childhood, that really shaped you into becoming the person and the leader you are today, Alan? Well, I don't want to sound too idealistic, but it goes back to my mom. Uh, my mom, uh, who's passed away now, um, was you know educated uh, grade four, so uh, primary school. Didn't really have much education, but the one thing she taught our entire family of three crazy boys um, was about loving people and uh, and being open about that. And uh, and that has served me throughout my life as someone who. Uh, you know, as a leader, I, I believe in vulnerability and sort of leadership, and we'll talk about all that stuff in a bit, but it stems at a place of confidence that it's okay to, to care about people and that whether it's family or friends or business associates, um, that gift was given to me by my mom and uh, has permeated through everything I've done in my life. And, um, you know, as a leader, you know, it's hard to know when that starts, but I always think back to you know, always caring about an outcome and caring about the people that are helping you do an outcome. So I've always remembered as remembered going far back that someone who took responsibility to get something done, whether it was on my watch or not, if it had to be done, I'd make sure it was done right, whether it was me or pull the team together to get it done, whether it was sports or whatever. And that's my furthest memory of, uh, of developing those leadership skills. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Uh, I'd love to hear more about your mom. How did she model that? How did you learn about loving people from her? Well, it was, you know, and, and every, I think every, every kid has a story about their mom, uh, that unconditional love piece, but it's really about the confidence and support, no matter what I try to do. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that have that same experience is that um, they were behind you. If you screwed up, they would, you know, support you and, you know, protect you from your dad who's going to come home and, and get mad at you, whatever it was. Mom's had a special way. And, uh, and for me, it, I think it just built my confidence. And then, you know, over time, you, you go through your life and you have experiences that shape you. But I think the foundation of her just 
always being there, always being around, always being there for a conversation. And just, you know, I could come home at two in the morning, I'd be hungry and she'd make me a steak. I mean, you know, that just doesn't happen today, right? So, uh, but it was those <laughs> little things of just caring for you, knowing that was there and that security uh, of, uh, of growing up with that was, uh, was the gift that she gave me. Yeah, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing. Um, as you grew older from there, what that sort of next season of your life, are there any moments in that next season that really stand out to you as pivotal for you as a leader? Well, you know, it has to go back to sports, right? When I, I grew up uh, a fairly rambunctious young man, and, and but I, I loved sports. It was one of my highest passions and I played everything. Uh, you would expect uh, coming from Canada, I did play hockey. So the stereotype is true. Uh, but I played, you know, all sports, rugby. I played uh, what you would know as American football. And I played all those sports as I was growing up. And what is unique about sports and team sports specifically is, you know, you learn about preparation, you learn about teamwork, you learn about your role, because sometimes you're the captain, sometimes you have a role, sometimes you're secondary. And leadership to me is not only the people in the front, but it's the people doing their jobs as efficiently and effectively to make sure all the team does well. So I learned that early in sports and I learned it early also in, you know, having a paper route and working on a fruit truck, selling fruits to the women coming out of the factories when I was 11 years old, it was always about trying to do the right thing. And, and I'll give you a quick story, Jono, that might be illustrative. Yeah. I remember one time I was selling, you know, literally fruit baskets, you know, a buck, a basket of apples for a dollar or tomatoes, whatever it is. And these women would come and you'd, you'd fill the basket and you'd put the cash in your pocket. And I remember going home one day and I had an extra 20 that I put in my left pocket instead of my right. And the next day I went to work and, and I remember his name was Bernard. And I said, Bernard, here's $20 I forgot to give you yesterday. And he was so shocked because his workers were fairly transient, as you would expect, and mostly kids. He was so shocked that I gave him the $20. He said, I've never seen that before in my 40 years of doing that. He says, why did you do that? I said, because it's the right thing to do. It's not my 20, it's yours. And so those little lessons kind of teach you that, you know, honesty, integrity, and all those things that we always talk about as platitudes. You know, if you live your life properly, then when you get to my age, which is a lot older than I was when I was 11, <laughs> um, they, they carry you through uh, and you all, you don't have any gray in your life. It's always black and white and doing the right thing. And, and uh, that started real young. Yeah, that's, um, that's, a, that's a wonderful story. I want to ask you more about that in a second, but I want to come back to your mom and what you learned from her, because that's just such a powerful story. Mm-hmm. And um, the question that comes to mind for me is, how have you seen what you learned from her at play in your leadership now, like more recent years, as you've been in more senior roles and, and doing incredible things? How have you seen or are there any stories that come to mind where you think, yeah, that's right. That's I, I probably make those sort of decisions and I link it all the way back to, to what I learned from mum. So I'll, I'll go back to what I would call, uh, and, and it would be great to talk about this, but I'm in an organization called YPO which is one of the global organizations of CEOs, 30,000 members, 140 countries. And as I was working in the organization as a volunteer, I was fortunate enough to to chair one of the major boards of this international organization. And and quite honestly, it was a little intimidating for me, you know, running one of the smaller businesses relative to the gentlemen. uh, And there were only gentlemen uh, on my board. There were 15 people from all around the world. And uh, I started to realize that over that, you know, wow, this seems like a big role. 
But at the end of the day, when you treat people well and you treat them lovingly, um, and that lesson is what carried me through that exercise because, you know, here I am dealing with people who, if you can imagine, are running some of them billion dollar businesses. Yeah. And they're looking to me as their leader. It was very counterintuitive, <laughs> right? Because mm. usually you think, oh, it's the big dog, right? Oh, well, the big dog's going to lead. In this case, <laughs> it wasn't the big dog that was leading. But, but my recollection and the best story was when they had a, a going away dinner for me. Uh, they, you know, they'd write things in a book and, and, you know, it's memories I'll keep forever, but it was the emotion I was getting back in the feedback on how I made people feel uh, that was the reinforcement of the lessons I learned from my mom, because I remember just one guy wrote something uh, that it was something about his wife. He says, I can't believe you asked me about blank, blank. Uh, when she wasn't feeling well, two years later, you remembered that. And I will never forget you for that. And so it, got me the feeling at the end of the day, we're, as leaders, all we're dealing with is human beings. Really, when we break it down, yeah, we've got roles and titles and all kinds of crap. Yeah. But we're dealing with humans who are frail and loving and, and, and need the support. And so that is what I, I drag through everything I do. So I start with that feeling of love. And then, yeah, I can be tough if I need to be, right? And, and that's part of leadership as well. But I'm always leaning into... Uh, caring and empathy uh, first. And that's the lesson that carried through my leadership journey. Yeah, that's great, Alan. It, it reminds me of um, your story reminds me of one of my favorite uh, things that I've heard on this, on this podcast from a, a leader here in regional Australia in a place called Rockhampton and uh, Philip, Dr. Philip Moulds came on, he leads a school and he talked about this. Um, I think the Lachlan and Claire test where he, I think they're the names of his kids from, from the top of my head. And uh, he talked about how whenever he's got a decision to make, he puts it through the test of, you know, if I was, if this employee who I'm, I, I need to work out how to manage this situation, if this was my kids, you know, if I was their parent who they're going to go back to and, and talk to, how would I want, how would I want their leader yeah. to lead them? And I love that. And, and it does bring it all back to, humanity and to because at the end of the day if you looked at it through that lens that's where like you said tough love you know we would we would say well i'd want a leader who would challenge them i'd want a leader who mm. had their back you know it wouldn't be i'd want a leader who always told them what they wanted to hear it would be i i would want i would want um you know my kids to have a leader who would have their back be in their corner and tell them the tough truths and really challenge them to grow and, and, and I couldn't agree more. And, the, the, and growth comes from, from if your leader genuinely cares about you. Now, we've got to be clear, right? I mean, we talk about things that's businesses like family, and it really isn't. But it doesn't mean that you can't have um, what I'll call loving and caring relationships where you actually really want that person to succeed. Uh, and, and sometimes it's, you know, it's three years or five years or one year, uh, and then they move on to something else. And then, you know, in our business, when, you know, we've had, you know, probably over the 17 years, maybe 60 or 70 or 80 employees. And we look at the ones who've, who've succeeded past what they were doing with us. And it's a celebration for us. We say, you know what, maybe we were a little part of that seed that got them to be where they are today. And so we see them all and saying, wow, president of this and CEO of that. And they came through our world and it, that is an exciting thing for us because it's, you know, we look mm. at it as a journey, right? Work is just something we invent, right? Humans invented work. So yeah. let's, let's, let's have it be joyful and, and fun and, and obviously successful because that's why we're here. We're here to make profits and, 
and do all the things that businesses need to do. But let's be joyful about that ride as well. Yeah, that's great. Um, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned that story about integrity when you were in one of your first jobs, you know, and, and the shock of your boss going, I can't believe you, you actually brought this $20 in and that that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Have you, uh, are there any stories from your career that have, where the stakes have been higher and you've had similar experiences, but instead of, you know, the $20, it was, there was more on the line and you found that, um, those same sort of characteristics that that were true for you back when you were younger were sort of at, at play when you were older as well yeah there there are you know in a long career you have many of those moments and i'll give you one that was uh you know it seemed to be a negative at the time but i was um it was my first president's job actually uh, running a, a business in a province uh, of quebec here in canada and um uh, I had taken over a business that was pretty messy, pretty messed up. It was losing a lot of money. And so the CEO of the business, it was I was running one of the divisions, said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I think we need to do X, Y, and Z to kind of clean it up, but we're going to still lose four or five million a year for the next three years because there's a contract that we just can't get out of unless we want to go legal. So the CEO said, that sounds like a great plan. We'll, we'll live through that uh, the three or four years and let's build, rebuild the business. So he got uh, terminated and somebody else came in who had a different vision. And um, so I disagreed with him on a lot of stuff, but I said, okay, I'll do my job and we'll do the best we can. And I'll never forget one quarter. And he comes to me and says, how are we going to do on the quarter? And I said, well, we're going to be 97% of plan. He says, why? I said, well, I've got things that we could deliver uh, at the time, photocopiers. And he says, "Uh, well, are they on the truck? I said, yeah, but they can't be delivered because it's the weekend and we're not going to be able to do that. He says, Build them anyways. I said, no, we're not going to do that. We're a public company and we're not going to build it. He says, but Alan, you have $10,000 on the line for your bonus. And I have a bonus as well. I said, I don't care if I have a million dollars bonus. It's not the right thing to do. I'm not going to do it. And I refuse. And he went to my administrator and called her and said, whatever her name was, and said, I want you to bill it. She walks into my office. I picked up the phone and I tore a strip off him like I've never done before. And I just stood, stood by my guns. And so that to me was um, one of the lessons of integrity that I, I continue to do this day, but it, it happened, this was almost 20 years ago now, Jono. So mm. there's one example. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. How do you see, for you, as you reflect on that, what do you think the difference is between a leader who makes those hard decisions and sticks to your guns about something like that and someone like the, the leader you were working with who was happy to cut corners do you have any thoughts? I guess it's more of a philosophical question, but what is it about? Like there just might be young leaders. I'm thinking who are listening, going, yep. "I want to be, I want to be able to make that decision because it wouldn't be easy because that's the person who you're really reporting up to, putting pressure on you, but you stood your ground." I'm interested to know how how you did that and why you think you were able to do that. Well, I think you've got if you're a leader, uh, one of the the things that you have to have is confidence in yourself. And so the job you're in today isn't the job you're going to be in forever. And especially uh, young people today, Gen Y and Gen Z, they're not in careers for seven and eight and 10 years. They're moving every three or four years. So understand that you've got to, to be successful. You need to be in the right situation and, and not all places are right for every leader. And so for me, I never had a fear. I never had to look for a job in my life. I was always recruited away from whatever companies I was in until I started my own business. And so you've, if you have the confidence in yourself, then, then you're then doing the right thing and not worrying about the consequences is fine. No matter what, I had a 
young baby just you know i know you're uh, about to embark on a nice journey yourself but i had a young baby at the time a lot on the line yeah. but i mm. bet on myself mm. i bet on myself i said and i said if he if something bad happens i'll live with the consequences and i'll go find something else to do but i'm not going to live in this situation with this gentleman so that was that, that was the confidence that allowed me to to make that decision and not worry about uh, the outcomes yeah it, this might sound like a silly question but why do you think you were able to never have to leave a job but always sort of be um, brought somewhere else what what was it that you reflect on your career that facilitated that once again knowing there'd be people listening going how did alan do that i i, I want to be that sort of leader where until i start something of my own potentially I'm, i don't have to go looking but i'm actually able to do so well at each of my roles that i'm uh you know people are, are seeking seeking me out well it, it's really easy answer there's two two facets to that one is the relationships that you build in any place you go whether it's your university or sports teams or or any work workplace or family or whatever it is if you do the right thing and you're likable and people want to help you and support you no matter where you go they're going to be your champion and and you and i both know most jobs come from people you know right it's it's very rarely uh you know you're going and mm. interviewing that stuff doesn't happen in the real it does happen but it's rare and the yeah. second part is really and this sounds such like such a platitude but you really care about the outcomes that you have to deliver, whether it's a sales quota or, or delivering on manufacturing, whatever it is, you absolutely do your level best at every single job and you care as deeply as any manager or owner would, then people are going to look at you and say, this is a valuable person. He cares about my business. And most owners always say, well, no one can really care about my business the way I do. And that might be true. But there are people there who care so deeply about the outcomes. Those are the people that you go to war with. And, and mm. that's what I did. I, and it was natural for me. It wasn't that I'm trying to do it to get attention. I just did it because you're paying me. I got to do the best that I can. And oh, by the way, it helped me go up in all of the companies that I was in because I was seen as a leader and seen as a doer. And, and so that carried me forth on everything I chose to do. Yeah, that's, um, that's fascinating. And I, I love that ownership and that, that sense of making decisions from the perspective of the, of the owner and really like, uh, which, which I hear you talking about, what, what have you learned about how to hire people like that? You know, now, when you've stepped into leadership roles and you might naturally think like that, anything you've learned about how to find and keep people who think like that? Well, it's really hard. I have to be, there's no magic bullet on that. And, and anybody who's hired and I've hired, if not hundreds, maybe thousands of people in my life, um, it's a bit of hit and miss, but you look for the basics of, are they, what, what, what have they cared about in the past? What are they passionate about? Um, is, you know, some people say that, you know, money is the ultimate motivator. And I don't believe that. I, I don't believe, I think money is about fairness. Uh, but not about, oh, I need to make more. That's why I keep jumping jobs. So I look for their history and say, have they cared about something deeply? Uh, you know, do the references talk about those, use those words and have they performed, right? So you need performance and you need people that care. And then of course, people who, you know, can get along and build relationships with others because, you know, you can't perform alone in too many businesses and be successful. You need to have a team environment. So one of the examples, Jono, that I have is um, one of our team members who had been with us about six years uh, was given an opportunity at another agency and paid a lot more money. 
to go there. And so we gave her our blessing and we told her what we knew about that agency and we wished her well. Uh, and she went and she worked for that agency for about three or four months. I can't remember exactly how much time. Uh, and it didn't go as well as she was hoping. So we got a call back and she says, I'd love to come back if you'll have me. And because we loved her so much, we invited her back with open arms and we asked her, you know, what was the lesson? And the lesson for her was, it isn't about the money. It's about the opportunity to kind of flourish as a, as a human being and, and, and maximize my skills and, you know, to be paid fairly, but not to be paid necessarily at the top dollar. And so for us, that was kind of a cool validation that you can have a, a family-like feel in a business. Uh, and, and because people spend a lot of time at work, so why not make sure they're having a good time as well? And so that was a, that was a, a good uh, illustration for us that we were on the right track. Yeah, that's a great story. And I think this is one of the biggest challenges I'm hearing from leaders around the world across industries uh, that how do you find and keep great people? And I think you're, you're really uh, narrowing down on some things that are really important in that. What advice would you give now that you have hired hundreds and even thousands of people? What are some things that you do as no brainers now that people out there who might be just looking to make their first hire or just stepping into their first role where they're responsible for, uh, for some element of HR, what, what advice would you give them? So understand that as the leader, you are the most important person in their life in that business. So what does that mean? Most uh, folks leave, most employees leave because their manager sucks. So that's pretty simple. So if you're an immediate manager, understand that you have a responsible for six, seven, eight, 10 people, whatever it is, that they are, they are going to stay or leave because of your behavior on average. I mean, you can lose people for lots of reasons. So make sure that you understand that as busy as you get, when they're coming to talk to you, whether it's in the office or on a Zoom call or on a phone call, that your phone is down and you're listening to them intently and you're spending whatever that time is, if it's three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, you're mindful and you're listening to them intently because I've seen this, oh, how many times I can't imagine where you're talking to someone and their eyes are diverting and their phone is in their hands and they got a pen and they're waiting for you to leave. And people want to know that you care what they're mm. about to ask you or sell. So if you really treat your team well and just take that time to deal with them, or if you can't say, listen, I need five minutes. Can you come back in five and then I'll have 10 minutes for you? That's all they want but don't give them half of you, give them all of you. Mm. Uh, and then you'll build a team of trust. And then you make sure you have a vision that all of them can agree on. It doesn't have to be the greater vision of the, of the entire company, but it certainly has to be something you can all galvanize together to work together on and feel proud about when you achieve. So celebrate your achievements, make sure you have performance standards that are, you know, unmistakable that people mm -hmm. know when they're not performing, you don't have to tell them. Very important. <laughs> I, I remember, I remember I set some standards at the business I was in. And when I, when I had to fire someone, they'd walk in and say, I guess it's time, right? I said, yeah, it's time. Why? So I didn't have to say you're fired because we agreed that this was the standard. It was 30 days. You had to get it back. We're on the 30 days. You haven't done it. So you know what the consequence is. So there was no surprises. So everybody knew what performance meant. Yeah. And so, and then, so they were in, essentially firing themselves because they didn't perform and we would support them throughout the thing. So I'm a big believer that if you set the right standard for everybody and everybody has a standard, you treat them differently in terms of how you deal with them. Mm. Because some people need a kick in the butt. Some people need more hugs. You figure out how to get the most out of each of them, but the yep. standard doesn't change. And that's the key. Yeah. How, how do you do that? How do you create 
clear performance, transparent performance where someone can know whether they're winning or not? Well, it was easy in my world because it was based on sales, right? So when you have a sales organization, you have, you have a quota, right? And the quota is you need to hit that and you need to hit it at a reasonable level. And, you know, you look at it and say, whatever the quota was, if you're, you know, below 70%, you're, you're just not in the game. And if you're anywhere between 70 and a, and a hundred, then at least you're in a place where you can, with a few changes, get to a great performance, right? So, but it doesn't matter if it's just sales, everything is measurable in some ways, right? And so in our world, if my customers are elated and they're working with one of my team, I'm elated. And I, and that's easy to measure because when they leave and you look at the same employee, boy, we've lost four customers that you've been working with over the last year, something's missing. So you look at all the metrics that line up for that. And it's not always the time they're putting in it's the check-ins and, and the results of the work that they're doing that yes. are critical. And you can measure all of that. So each of them have standards in our business and it's not just the time they put in, but it's the effectiveness. And when I have happy customers, then I'm happy because that's all that matters to me. Yeah, I think it is simple. I think it's I think it's easy to get distracted. And I think we avoid the uncomfortable moments when things aren't going well initially. But I think we shoot ourselves in the foot when we do that. Um, what about other organizations? Because obviously sales is a great example and, and it's a great place to learn how to do this because my background, one of my first jobs, you know, coming out of school, um, I ended up spending six years in, in sales and in new, new sales. And you just, uh, it was actually just very formative for me. And, and there was so much that I learned in that season. But what about other, <laughs> those other roles where it's, it's, you don't have those um, targets that are as measurable. Any, anything you've seen work really well to create some great performance indicators when you're not in a sales specific role or anything you've seen other people doing? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you look, every, everybody can have a, a key performance indicator for their job, whatever that happens to be. And maybe it's customer retention. Maybe it's uh, increase of wallet inside a customer. So maybe you're not in sales, uh, but everybody contributes to sales in one way or another. Right. I think I've always believed that there's not a person from the receptionist to the janitor that's not in sales in a business because everything in your brand touches somebody in your business, right? So, so it's a, to me, it's about galvanizing and making decisions for the right job. So if it's a case of, a, of a, an employee in our world where they're not measured by sales, then I measure them by uh, the performance that's specific to, for example, if it's media relations, how many hits are they getting for that client? If it's social media, you know, are, they, uh, is, are the engagement numbers going up for the client? Um, all of those different things that we look at because it's, we're performing on behalf of the client. So it, in other words, we have to measure what's important to the client. And if we're executing and the client's doing really well and they're really happy, then I can check the boxes and say, my, my staff are doing their job really, really well. And so those, we look mm. at each of them have different ones, but yeah. everything can be measured. And some, some are not as, as clean as you hit your quota or you didn't. But at the end of the day, uh, I've got customers that are paying me to deliver, we need to deliver based on the scope of work and we need to over exceed what they're expecting. And if they're delighted and they're with us for years, I'm delighted. And that's how it works in our world. Yeah, that's great. And thank you for, for sharing some thoughts on that. And I think it is helpful. And anyone listening who is struggling to really nail down whether your people are performing, I think it's, you need to go away and really ask the question, what what are the, what are the key indicators that show, like, what's the outcome? 
which Alan, you've described so well about customer satisfaction and client satisfaction and client retention for you and um, in what you do and sales targets. But for any role, we've got to just get very clear between us and the person we're leading on what performance looks like so that yep. they, I love that idea that they are the ones to know first when they've actually, when they're not performing, that's, if you can do that, no matter how you do that, where a person goes, wow, I really, I, I've had, you know, a whole um, two months at 60% now, haven't I? That's yep. such a better conversation than what do you mean? I thought I was doing a great job. It should never be to, you know, as we discussed earlier. And, and the interesting thing is, if you have a team of eight or nine or 10, you remember Jack Welsh used to have the 10% the rule, right? He used to fire 10% of the unperforming staff, no matter where they were, no matter how well the company was doing. So, you know, I didn't necessarily subscribe to that, but think about the standard that that sets. People are avoiding getting in that 10%, aren't they? Because now it's about survival. And so what I like to do is if, if everybody is aligned and then, and to me, the most important word in employee satisfaction is fairness. People want to know they're being treated fairly. That means when you have an employee that you um, are kind of letting slide, mm. people notice that. And they notice that and they say, oh, how come they're getting preferential treatment? I didn't get that. And then, oh, but they're being paid more than I. And then you get all that whining and complaining. Yeah. And so to me, you take fairness off the table when you have a standard that makes sense for everybody. And then what I do is I actually ask them, how do you like to be managed? Mm. And I, I actually ask that question. I say, and they, and I, some of them say, you know what? I'm the kind of person that needs a kick in the ass. I said, do you want it privately or publicly? Because I can embarrass you if that's what makes sense to you, or I can do it in behind closed doors. And I'm telling you, I've had one guy say to me, <laughs> you can kick me in the ass in the middle of the sales meeting. I'm okay with that. Now that I don't do that. That's yeah. not who I am. Yeah. But I'll give them the look. And the look is, oh yeah, okay, uh, I, I've had enough now, so you can you can stop talking now, I, because I know that's what makes them tick. However, <laughs> they got that way, I don't know. And some of them are, <laughs> no, I need more support and love, and and some say, no, you know, stay on top of me, and I need more accountability, and I, I just want whatever it is. Now, but what they're doing, what you're doing, is giving giving them you permission to treat them the way they want to be treated, which is really cool and it works so beautifully because if i'm kicking you in the ass and you said to do it then i'm just doing what you wanted me to do so i'm managing you the way you want to be managed yeah. so it's an interesting little game that uh again you know you do that with junior people senior people less so but mm. you know each of them respond you know if i'm managing an executive team um i still ask the question on how i'm going to support you what mm. do you need from me to make you successful those are the questions that I ask uh, so that I'm there to help, you know, pave the way for them to be successful with very clear measures on what they're doing for themselves and the company and what they're going to do with their teams and how they're going to manage their teams, because that's a reflection on the company. So, yeah, that's great. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that really interesting thoughts. Well, let's jump into leadership express. I've got a few questions to ask you. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Okay. What's a book that you've gifted to other people? That's an easy one. It's sitting right in front of me. It's called Good to Great. Uh, not Good to Great. I'm sorry. It's, um, oh my goodness, it just slipped my mind. Well, Good to Great's a good book by Jim <laughs> Collins as well. So that's that's a, a separate one. It's uh, Adam Grant's book and it's uh, 
it's I, I'm that's the title has escaped me now, which is embarrassing to me right this moment. <laughs> but it's a book think, that actually oh, givers, givers, takers, and matches. Gotcha. Give ah, and take. Thank you. Give, give and, take. and take. I don't know if you've read that book before. No, no, so I haven't. Give and take. It's a fascinating book. It it, it brings it puts people into three categories: givers, takers, and matchers. Givers are people like me who I'm going to give first. I'm never asking you for anything in return. Matchers are I give you something. And because I gave you something, you're looking to give me something in return because you're a matcher and takers. Well, we got a lot of those people in our lives. So when I read that book, I went, oh, my God, I've got all kinds of those folks in my life. So I love I love being with the givers. I can live with the matchers. And now I've identified the takers. So now I know. So great book. Yeah, that's a great recommendation. No, I haven't read that one. Uh, okay, so what about books that you might be in the middle of right now or you've just read recently or podcasts that you're enjoying or blogs that you're reading? Anything that you're just really loving from a reading, listening, watching right now? Well, there's a lot, but I, I read a book, uh, Phil Knight's book called Shoe Dog. I don't know if you've had a chance to read that. Um, but as an entrepreneur, um, you know, you look at Phil Knight today and you say, well, there is a billionaire, you know, he's been successful. But when you read the book and you see what he went through to get where he was, it mirrors the story of thousands of entrepreneurs who <laughs> have almost been dead a hundred times and the coffin's been opened and you're ready to dive in. And it happened to him and I read it and I went, oh my goodness, I'm not alone. We've all, you know, because everybody let's be honest, everybody has a little bit of a story of how their success is a rocket ship, right? That's not how it works in the real world, right? The real nah. world is you bruise your nose, you get punched in the face, you can't make payroll, what do you do? You put it on your, like all that stuff has happened in my life. Yeah. When I read that, that Phil Knight had to go through that, I went, okay, that's pretty <laughs> cool. So that's a great book and it's entertaining. He writes beautifully. So that's a good book called Shoe Dog. Yeah, that's great. I haven't read that and I need, I need to, um, I'll actually put that on my list because I love those sort of stories. They're very encouraging. I yeah. really enjoyed hearing James Dyson and I, I haven't read his book, but I think it's similar where he unpacks some of the story of how he started Dyson, but he was interviewed by Tim Ferriss on the Tim Ferriss show, uh, which is a great podcast. And I just, I, I was listening and the same sort of thing. He talked about how he had the, um, the technology or he was working on, it was nearly there. That's really, you know, was the foundation of, of Dyson in terms of their initial technology around uh, vacuums and, and suction power. And he ended up, I think he was $30,000 or $60,000 in debt. Um, they were making their own clothes His, you know, his wife was making mm -hmm. clothes for them because they were, they were in so much debt. And I just remember him talking about that and going, wow, it's, it's funny. It's, it is just funny how often, those those are the stories where you know and tim ferris said well weren't you tempted to give up and he was sort of like no well there was no plan b it was just i knew it was yeah. going to work but we it just it, you know it had to work at some point and it did and um it's always amazing how often that's the story isn't it well you know the one thing that i i always think about how many times that i should have quit uh <laughs> but um I'm either too stupid or too hard-headed. I'm not sure which it is. Probably a combination of both. But, um, you know, <laughs> you learn as an entrepreneur, right? And you're an entrepreneur, so you understand this is, mm. you know, you, it's like I was using the analogy. It's like if I'm drilling for diamonds and I stop one inch more of drilling and I hit pay dirt, I never know where that one inch is, right? So I always, yeah. 
I keep drilling until I, until I can't go anymore. And, um, and so that's been, that's been the story of our 17 years. And, you know, we went through when the pandemic hit, uh, mm. know, we lost 90% of our clients in 48 hours. Oh man. Wow. So we had to, we had to pivot and recover and we did, and we survived and, and, you know, it took us a while to kind of get our feet back and we did, and we had to change a few things, but we had to survive. There was just no other option. And we did because we, wow. there was no, no decision to say, well, let's go do something else. We had to, we had to follow through. So we did. That's incredible. I can't even uh, imagine that's uh, that's full on maybe a, maybe a story for, for another time to hear about how on earth you manage that because that's, yeah. that's an incredible story. Uh, okay. So here's one. Now this will be interesting to hear because I'm sure you do have some, some questions that you use in your uh, you know, uh, in your agency, but also I love asking people if there are any favorite questions they have to ask in a one-on-one setting, in a team setting, when you're with a client? So I have two. I'll give you the one I ask, which I think is the ultimate leadership question is, what do you think? Um, And uh, because in my world, I know probably 90% of the answers that come my way. Go, who do this, do that here, right? Nobody grows that way, right? You're not building a culture. So even when I know the answer, I'm asking, what do you think? Because I want them to feel that they can, and, and maybe they'll offer something I never thought of, right? So mm. that's a very powerful question. It's also a question, if you don't know the answer, it gives you a time to say, to, to think, right? You can <laughs> yeah. think of, well, what do you think, Bill? And now you're going, what the heck do I do now, right? So you get a chance to think through that. So I think that's one. And then the other one, when I talk to clients, uh, as far as our agency goes, I always ask this question, what do you look for in an agency? What, what is an ideal situation for you to mm. work with an agency? And of course, what are they giving me? They're giving me exactly the fodder I need to sell back to them on what's important, right? So yeah. that's, that's another piece. And, and the third one, the third, it's not so much a question, but it's a positioning that people always think that you're interviewing an agency. And, and I've had this before, like oh, hundreds of times where they said, we're, we're going to interview you and we're interviewing five others and uh, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, understand this as well. And I appreciate that you're doing that, but we're also interviewing you. And they said, excuse me? I said, yeah, we say no to 50% of the people we talk to because fit matters to us. In order to be successful with your business, we have to have a partnership that's based on trust and integrity and Mm. alignment. And so Mm. we want to make sure that happens with you. And if it doesn't, we're going to say no to working with you. Well, what (laughs) you should see the faces, Jono, that hit the floor. Yeah. When I say that, and it, but it's true. We, yeah. we say no to yeah. business all the time and we want the business. We don't want the wrong business. Yeah, that's right. right? I so. think, I think that's a great, um, I was just chatting about this with someone the other day about how much better it is in the long term to, you know, really hire and keep amazing people say no to the wrong work. And yeah. you just, the, you just do those two things. You just say no to the wrong people coming on board and, and only hire and, and keep, you know, great people. And if you say no to the wrong type of work and wrong type of clients, I feel like those two decisions can, can really lead to incredible outcomes just on their own. I couldn't agree more. And it's the hardest thing to do because when you need cash in a business and all businesses need cash, mm-hmm. saying no to somebody that's going to pick for your payroll for the next rest of the year uh, is a real tough no, but boy, do they, when you make the decision to say yes, 
you wreck it, regret it and you go, mm, okay, I got to reinforce that again. <laughs> so you have to have an ideal client, right? So we look at what is our ideal client and we measure against that before we, we yeah. dive in. Uh, and it's not always perfect, right? You don't always get the 10 out of 10, but you say, okay, I got eight out of 10. Mm -hmm. It looks like we can be successful. And that's, that's how we do it. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Last question. If you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say? Uh, don't try to be somebody you're not. So mm. authenticity is your most important thing. And what does that mean? Um, don't try to put a hat on just because you have a title and say, I'm the mm. boss now. So you're going to listen to me. Uh, when you're yeah. the boss, that means in my world, uh, you're a servant of the team, not the other way around. So yeah. invert the pyramid and say that my job is to serve you and to lead you. And that doesn't mean serve you and be subservient to you because every once in a while, you got to put people on your back and say, we're going over here, right? If yeah. the boat is sinking, we got to go here. And, and that's part of leadership too, uh, that you see, you know, on the world stage, sometimes some great leaders just do that. But I would say, just be yourself and be caring and loving and really, really care about their success. And they will support you to the ends of the earth. And if you do that first, all the other things that you'll have to learn, your team will help you learn and help you grow. Yeah, that's great advice. Thank you for sharing that. Um, for those who really have found what you've said very helpful or are interested in working with uh, you and, and one of your companies, where can people find you online, Alan? So we've got uh, a website called infinity.com.ca. Uh, so it's infinity, I-N-F-I-N-I-T-Y, C-O-M-M.ca, because we're in Canada. We work all around the world um, and we have a specialty in thought leadership for CEOs. So if there are CEOs listening, mm -hmm. uh, we've put a program together to help build their platforms as well. And that's been really cool and really exciting and a lot of fun. So just check us out, Infinity.com, uh, and then uh, certainly reach out to me uh, anytime. I'm happy to have conversations and meet people and network. And I can also be found on LinkedIn as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you to our listeners. For those particularly who are CEOs, where this may be the answer to what you've been looking for around content and maybe your marketing team has been uh, knocking on the door and saying, we have to really position you as a thought leader, but you've been concerned about how to do that, then Alan could be, uh, you know, it might be the right time to, to reach out. So please do that. Also, don't forget, I have the John O. White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day Podcast. They're, they're two podcasts to really invest in you as a leader uh, leadership question of the day to put a, sh a stone in your shoe, as I say, and make you uncomfortable so you can grow. Uh, <laughs> but I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to you, Alan, for being so generous with your time and bringing such wisdom and, and just share, uh, sharing uh, some beautiful stories with us today about uh, what leadership's all about in terms of the humanity. It's been really ins inspirational and, and rewarding. Thank you for coming on. Well, Jono, I appreciate you outreaching to me and I uh, look forward to, uh, of staying connected in the future. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org, 
we have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders and you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I, I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and, and please do that. And look for me, John O. White, or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in Step Up or Step Out. 
And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time. 